In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Meredith Grundy joins us this week on Money Tales. Meredith knew from a young age that she was born to be a performer. This meant hearing constant reminders about how she'd starve as an adult. A less resilient person might have been deterred by these warnings. Not Meredith. She's a self-identified rebel, and she was determined to prove that she can make it. This wasn't easy. Working in an industry where peers would often work for free to get credits. Free was not part of Meredith's vocabulary. Along the way, she created and ran improv workshops to supplement her acting work. She was always focused on creating her own path to success. Today, Meredith is the owner of Grundai Coaching, specializing in public speaking and presentation skills. As an award-winning theater director, producer, and former Second City improv teacher, she recognized the similarities between performing for audiences on stage every night and presenting to clients and colleagues every day. Here are three key topics Meredith hits on in this conversation. First, how when increasing the prices she was charging, Meredith would say the new price out loud as a way to prepare herself for upcoming conversations with her clients. Second, if you get nervous about having a money conversation, try moving your body to transform that energy into excitement. And third, money considerations to be aware of when adopting a child. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now onto our conversation with Meredith Grundy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cami Doder. And I'm Sandy Brager. Cami, I want to tell you about some money conversations we've been having in my household. They have been driven by our daughter. And I want to share this conversation in the context of some words that I have heard from thought leader and estate planner, David York. He talks about the importance of setting expectations when helping families with money conversations, specifically for him, estate planning and asset transfer planning. But his big idea is make sure that the parents are sharing with the rising generations of the family what they should expect what they shouldn't expect and what's expected of them. And I think this is brilliant advice. I work hard to bring that into the client conversations that we're having here at Experient. And I also work to bring them into family conversations about money. So it was very interesting when last week our daughter said, mom, dad, we need to have a money conversation. (laughs) She sat us down and she said, I want to know what to expect. And I said, wait, wait, where's this coming from? We've had conversations about expectations. So we allowed her to say more. She wanted to know what she should expect to pay for 
today. She's really struggling with when she should be spending her money, when she should be spending our money. And she's been very reluctant to spend her own money. In the course of this money conversation, what came out was the most darling thing. She was reluctant to spend money because one of the expectations we've set for her is that one day when she's done with college, ultimately, if she decides to go to college, that we expect that she will be financially independent and she'll need to cover her own bills and costs. So she's already thinking about that and the saving for it. Yes, you're putting this all together. You know her well. So she was afraid that if she spent her money today, she wouldn't have savings available later on in life when she was financially independent to help cover her costs. So it was a really productive money conversation because we had the chance to dive into that and reset expectations about what she should expect to pay for today and how she should be thinking about her savings today versus in the future, um, what she can be doing to get prepared to be financially independent when that time comes. Oh, Sandy, that sounds like you alleviated some really important concerns she had and thoughts she's been processing through. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about money all the time and this is not something that came up before. And I was so proud that she initiated this conversation and shared with us what was on her mind because it was a real deep concern. And certainly that's not what my husband and I had intended when we were setting expectations on the bigger, broader, longer term horizon for her. Oh, to get those mirror moments from parenting about like, wait a second, that's not what we intended. Well, thanks, Sandy, for sharing. And we'll transition over to our guest today. We are so excited to have you on The Money Tales, Meredith Grundai. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here and have this conversation. I'm already, I'm just chomping at the bit with this whole (laughs) how to have conversations about money with your children. Yeah. (laughs) It's a thing. It is a thing. A never ending thing. (laughs) I would say I'm never ending, even the adult child. For sure. I'm saying that lightly. I'm not a child anymore. I'm I'm in the adulting mode, but then setting the expectations. What happens like when you die expectations, for example? That's so important. Very important conversations to be having. Meredith, before we dive in all that good stuff, would you introduce yourself and in doing so provide a couple of pivotal moments that have happened in your life that really impacted who you are today? Yeah. So I'm Meredith Grundy. I live in New York City and I'm also a mom. I have a daughter who we're also trying to teach about money. And I own a business called Grundy Coaching. I coach high achieving entrepreneurs in public speaking so that I can help them elevate their brand and their business by speaking more and speaking with confidence for credibility And I work with organizations, technical organizations, predominantly on also presenting complicated information and how to simplify it so their audience really hears what they're sharing. Mm, That is music to a marketer's ear. (laughs) Yes. And I love the work. And I transitioned from being a full-time performer, director, artist type into taking all of those skill sets and using them to help people and I often use improv as an example to get people out of their comfort zones and using their voices in different ways. Mm, Thanks, Meredith. Let's go back to when you were growing up. When did you start connecting with money? When did it start having meaning to you? So 
I have always been rebellious. And if everyone's doing one thing, I want to do the opposite. If you're a vegetarian, I'm a meat eater. If you're a meat eater, I'm a vegetarian. Like, I don't know where that came from, but that was my scrappy side. And growing up, all my family did was talk about money. My dad was a financial manager who dealt with retirement portfolios. And he talked about money often. And he talked about retirement all the time. Sadly, my father never made it to retirement. So there's been a lot of money trauma in my family. And my first memories were at the kitchen table talking about money at a very early age. And tell us a little bit about those conversations. I had no clue what they were talking about. I just knew I could tell what was happening based off the emotion. He's either happy or he's angry (laughs) in relationship to money. (laughs) And I remember... I was graduating from college and he said, here's a thousand bucks to open an IRA fund. Don't touch it. That was it. That was my education. And did you follow his directions? She's rebellious, (laughs) Sandy. She's rebellious. I'm a rebellious. Well, I did start it. I barely put any money into it. I didn't under, I never understood the significance of being financially literate. Like I didn't understand that that was actually a form of empowerment, especially as a woman. I didn't put that together. I just looked at it as this negative thing that either made my dad happy or sad or our family happy or sad, depending on how the stock market was doing. I was like, I'm an artist. I don't have to deal with money. I don't make money anyway. I'm just a starving artist. So flash forward in 2011, we adopted my baby girl. We pulled out of my IRA fund. We, I think I left like just enough in there to keep it open, but basically pulled everything out of it to help pay for part of her adoption. But I have, I've, to this day, I've started to build it back up again. So Meredith, tell us more about being this rebellious person. Money conversations were happening around you. You didn't quite understand what they were. Did that make you, by your rebellious nature, not want to talk about money? Yeah, I didn't want to talk about it. It was just easier to not talk about it. I would talk about it, but I wouldn't talk about it in a transparent way. If that makes sense, I would just have the kind of stereotypical conversations of, yeah, I was the college student that went into the bookstore at the first day of classes to get her books and ended up signing up for a credit card and then going quickly into debt within my first year of being on my own. And then my dad telling me you shouldn't be in debt and then me feeling guilty for it and so forth and so on. And I do remember having more conversations with my dad later on, more so as a young adult than I did when I was a kid. When did you realize the power of understanding personal finances? I would say it wasn't until later on in life, until my 30s is when it really dawned on me that for me, this is my reflection on it. I realized that it's a privilege to have financial freedom. And the fact that women in the United States had to co-sign on credit cards until 1983 is shocking. Yeah. And that I, as a woman, have this financial independence and that I am also not just a woman who's trying to run a business who has this financial independence, but I'm also modeling a behavior to my daughter. That's when it really shifted for me is like, Meredith, get your shit together. (laughs) So I just started caring more is what the pivot was for me. And I, you know, I had the house, I had the mortgage, I was adulting and I was I had it savings as I do air quotes, but it wasn't 
like there was nothing intentional behind any of it. Just the accumulation of all those life events. I'm curious, Meredith, as an artist, so were you acting? Is that what your field was? I was acting and teaching. You mentioned a starving artist and there's a bit of a badge of honor. Was that the case or was it just being rebellious? That's a great question. I feel like it was a little bit of both. The one thing that I did shift pretty quickly as a young artist was not working for free anymore because it is difficult. The second you tell the people who are close to you that you want to be an actor or that you want to go into the arts, often you'll hear, oh, it, it's hard. It's really difficult. Most people starve. You know, you get, yeah. it's really difficult. Like if that's the narrative that you're constantly hearing. Really setting you up for success there. Yeah, you're like, thanks for setting us up for success. <laughs> Only 1% make it. What happened is because of those conversations, because of that language that I would hear often is that's where I rebelled. And I said, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove to you that I can make it as an artist and that I'm going to value myself as an artist and the work that I do. I feel like I mostly achieved that. I feel like I could have, as a younger artist, valued myself a little bit more than I did. But what I will say that I did successfully is I found many ways to make money as an artist. I started my own after-school program when I was living in San Francisco. I worked for other after-school programs. I taught my own workshops. I would set up workshops and teach improv workshops. I would create my own work. Like even this last year, I wrote a one-woman show and I raised money for it. And then I collected money from the box office. So I did a lot of things on my own to create my own path so that I could make money. While I was also doing that, I was coaching people in public speaking. I was teaching improv to corporate teams. So you've always been an entrepreneur. Always been an entrepreneur. You have to be. I did commercials. So I was hustling. I was always hustling. And I stopped saying yes to working for free when I was in my early 30s. I just went and saw a show that my friend did and it was not an easy part. And she can, and she has the means to be able to work for free, but none of those actors got paid. Why do you think that is? Why, why do you think so many people in the arts are willing to work without compensation? Because they're trying to build a body of work that they can put on their resume, hopefully to be seen by the right people at the right time. I feel that you just have to be smart about what the projects are. But when you're young, it's about building your real. It's all about the relationship. So if you do a project, you're going to meet a bunch of people. And then hopefully one of those people is going to remember you for another project or you start to build a company and you build and create and grow together. So there's many different pathways. That's partly it. And also the sad part is that you can be easily replaced. That's tough. When you were going through this, were you having conversations with your fellow actors about money and strategies around this? Oh, all the time. There were actors that I worked with who were offended if you did want to make money, oh. that you should just be doing it for the art, for art's sake. Wow. And so I actually ended up teaching a class, the business of acting for an MFA program actually the same one that I graduated from in Boulder, because I was so passionate about young artists creating a business for themselves. Like I wanted them to have those tools. I didn't want them to have to figure it out the hard way. I was like, here's a class. Here's a safe space 
let's figure this out so that when you leave this institution, you at least know how to get started and you don't have to ask those hard, awkward questions that you just have the tools. Then it's up to you what you do with them, but at least you have them. What a great way to give back, Meredith. I just loved it. It's a delight for me to be able to do that because I'm still working it out too. I think we're all works in progress. So if I can teach it, I learn stuff too, selfishly. (laughs) Oh, I love that. It's a very good point. (laughs) Meredith, tell us about learning how to hustle. When did it occur to you that you needed to start creating opportunities for yourself to generate income? Just recently, it's only been the last two years, I realized why I struggled so much as an actor in this world where you audition, you wait for other people to give you the part or is one of my core values is autonomy. So I really had no other choice but to go out and create my own stuff because that's my happy place. I love having the autonomy, the freedom to be able to create and do what I want on my own terms. That doesn't mean I'm not a great collaborator. I love collaborating. I just had a hard time with people that I don't really have relationships with telling me with whether or not I'm going to be right for something. I'd rather just go out and create something and see if it sticks. Oh my gosh. So now you're doing a lot of coaching, which requires you to set a price for your service. How did you go about pricing your services? Well, I feel that I went through steps. I first started pricing where I felt comfortable saying the price. I think when I first started coaching, it was hourly. I don't even remember at this point. It was pretty much in alignment with what the actor mindset, how much I thought I was worth. And then I hired a coach a few years ago. And that coach was said that I was worth more, what my skill set was worth more, and I should value myself more. So I ended up doubling my prices. And I remember how uncomfortable that was. And so I would practice saying the number out loud and with confidence, and then not saying anything afterwards. Great advice. And then I just noticed after a while that just got more and more comfortable. And there are people who have said things to me like, well, that's outside of my budget, or I can't afford that. And I've had people say, that's all. (laughs) I have started now listening for things even in the potential clients is, are they asking me how much it costs? Are they asking me what the fee is? Or are they asking me what is the investment? And then that too also helps me gauge with where they're at as well. And I have learned that if you undervalue yourself and you charge not enough, those people, those clients have tended to be more work because they didn't see it as a growth investment. This is interesting. And this is getting us into the work that you do today. You said you've used all of your training and experience to help people with their public speaking and be clear in their messaging. And I'm wondering, Meredith, what you are coaching your clients on today that can help our listeners from the perspective of having productive money conversations, because money is an area where people sometimes don't feel very confident. Going back to what I just said, what helped me was having somebody like a coach where I could practice with. I like that. Practice, practice, practice. And practice it and just say it out loud. And it's okay to get squirmy. That's a good reminder. It's okay. Meredith, isn't public speaking something like the biggest fear? Like people fear 
that over death or something crazy like that. They say that. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's really true, but they do say that. And then money is something that people get really squirmy talking about. So there's some commonalities. What would you say from your perspective? Why do people fear public speaking? And what do you think that says about other things that we fear, like talking about money? I feel like it all boils down to mindset. Again, it's like what I said about the starving artist. If all you hear is starving artist, starving artist, starving artist, or the number one fear over death is public speaking, public speaking, public speaking, or if we're not taught that feeling nervous is normal, or if we're taught that money equals happiness or lack of money equals failure, then it's really difficult to be able to admit that to people and to be vulnerable with them because that's admitting that if you're not doing well in the world, and I can speak into the USA where we're a capitalist country and we have a, there's a lot of emphasis put on money itself that with the have-nots aren't making lots. So that's tied to not doing well. And so therefore that's vulnerable. I'm not going to talk about that because I don't want you to see me that way. I'm going to pretend that I'm rich and go out and get in debt and buy a car that I can't afford. So you said mindset and then you implied judgment, which is super interesting. Yes. Right? Judgment and how will people think about me, whether I'm on a stage speaking or what car I'm driving. Yeah. Yeah. Meredith, one of the things that people feel when they're nervous about something, whether it's public speaking or money, it's, it could be that feeling in your stomach, like that nervousness. You've talked about it a little bit. And often that feeling is derived from the fact that we just really care about what we're about to do or what we're about to say. And I'm wondering if you have any tips for people to get beyond those feelings, because sometimes that nervousness can really hold us back. And some people will just completely go in a different direction to avoid those feelings rather than work through it. Yeah. Thank you. One is move your body. A lot of us sit and we just stew in our own brains we're not moving our bodies. So I always say to my clients, I'll say, you're going to feel nervous. And that is just what you just said. It's because you care about what you're doing. And you can transform the nervousness. You can either go into like existential dread over it and let the heart palpitations happen and the sweaty palms happen because they're going to happen anyway. Or you can transform that into excitement. And there's a lot of energy that the body holds when it comes to excitement. So one thing I used to do before I got on stage was push-ups and I would count out loud <laughs> or I would say, put on your favorite music and dance it out. Or if you feel embarrassed, go into a bathroom stall and do Amy Cuddy's power poses. But whatever it is, move your body. Just don't stand there. Don't just sit in your car. Find ways to be physically interactive. What a great recommendation. That's wonderful. I can absolutely see people doing that and it makes it more playful and fun. Yes. Meredith, you talked about your daughter. You also talked about the importance of financial literacy, particularly with women. Would you describe how you're helping your daughter with financial education? Yeah. So it's, we're always adjusting (laughs) new things all the time. So we give her an allowance. She's 11. So she gets $11 a week. Okay. She's not working for it. We don't make her do chores because I feel like chores are, it's actually, you're a part of a household and that household works together. 
So we're giving you this because we want you to learn how to manage it. Now, what has happened is like a couple weeks ago, she wanted to buy something. We were leaving. We we're going to go out and about. And so she pulled money from her savings and from uh, charity without talking to us. But we caught it. And so we had to have a big heart-to-heart conversation about what it means to give back, what it means to save. And so we had to reintroduce it because she got the shiny object in her head of like, more is better. And I'm going to buy some cheap plastic toy and it's going to make me feel good for five minutes. But Meredith, isn't that great that you're doing this now? And we talk about these life lessons, if they can be small mistakes, it's better than the future bigger mistakes. And what a gift. Yeah. And I think still at 11, money is pretty abstract for kids. Yeah. I was wondering, as you talk about how you and your husband are helping educate your daughter, I was also recalling an earlier part of our conversation when you were talking about how your parents talked about money and you weren't really understanding what they were talking about. So what are you doing to make sure your daughter is understanding these conversations that you're having? Because it's not easy. It's tricky. You think you're setting one expectation and it turns out they're interpreting it totally differently. (laughs) There's one thing that my husband and I try not to do, which is talk about money in front of her. I saw how that wasn't helpful for me as a kid. It just made it more confusing. And I was attaching it to emotions, which is so easy to do, as we all know. And then the second thing, it's just asking the questions like, is that really, you do realize that if you spend that on this now, you won't have it for that bigger goal later. So it's also setting goals. Like what's the bigger thing, the eye on the prize that you want to save your money for? And it's a constant readjusting of those conversations and trying to find resources and seeing what other people have done where they've succeeded with trying to teach this financial literacy. That's great. There's not a lot of formal resources in our society. So I applaud what you and your husband are doing and your family. It's so important. And I think that is great fodder for money conversations with friends and family to see what other people are doing. That's how we all learn and get best practices. I want her to feel okay about talking about money and that she shouldn't be feeling shame around money. I feel that's really important too. Absolutely. Those emotions that you mentioned before, they're real. They form our thoughts about money and the money scripts that we live by. So I think that's spot on. Meredith, how much do you think about money in your life today outside of these conversations? (laughs) Tell us more about that. I'm thinking about it all the time, but I'm thinking about it like I have a more positive attitude on it. Like I'm excited about it. I feel like I'm smarter about it. I do, though, have my moments where it's just like, wow, where'd that come from? So for example, my husband and I almost filed bankruptcy. Like we've gone through some stuff when it comes to money, when we adopted our baby and our, my daughter and she, we got in over our heads. We didn't realize this was going to cost this much money. And one thing led to the next and things kind of snowballed and here we were, but we luckily got out of that. Flash forward to today. So we sold a house and we have cap gains. So we have to pay these cap gains and our accountant showed us how much we owe the government. And I about had heart palpitations. Like I knew it was going to be a lot, but I didn't realize it was going to be that much. And what happened was I got really panicky. My heart started racing. I started to snap at my husband. 
And this really young, familiar panic showed up. My husband looked me in the eye and he just said, you need to breathe right now. Like you're okay. Everything's okay. I realized after that I had settled down, those feelings felt super old. And I I was like, well, I still have some shit to work through with this money stuff. So I thought that was really interesting. (laughs) It's fascinating, Marinette. How are you thinking of working through that? It was definitely a fear of not having. So I feel like I need to really look at that and try to identify what that's about. Getting curious. Yeah, getting curious. Meredith, would you say a little bit more about your experience adopting your daughter and how that almost led to bankruptcy? Yeah, it was a series of different choices that we made. We started off with one agency. During that time, there were not a lot of babies being born in the state of Colorado. I think we were about 56th on the queue and we had already been waiting like a year and had been in the process almost two at that point. We got accepted into this adoption agency, but there was something about the way they were doing things that was not in alignment with who we were. And some of these things surfaced the more we got to know the agency. So we ended up losing about eight grand by walking away from them. And then ended up in another agency that kind of acted as the middleman between us and the adoption agencies, but they would take our profile and put it out throughout the entire country. So we ended up with an adoption agency and they were lovely. And basically we got a call (laughs) the next day, our daughter, we met our daughter and All of that went beautifully and smoothly. There were some unexpected costs along the way. So I think all said and done, it cost about 70 grand that we just didn't have. And on top of that, it wasn't like we were bringing in a lot of money. We were both working as freelance artists and we owned property. So what ended up happening was this property that we had purchased about five years prior There was this lot of land next to our house that was just big enough to maybe put another house on. So we ended up breaking the property, so getting two separate deeds, and we sold that, and that got us out of debt, and it paid for the adoption. And that was like the last resort. And we tried really hard not to sell that property because we didn't want someone to build an ugly townhome on it, which is what ended up happening. It's a longer story than that because we already had debt before we went into the adoption process. So be careful when adopting of agency costs and making sure that you're partnering with the right agency for you that's well aligned with your values and can help you through the process. There's a lot of institutionalized racism in the adoption community. Interesting. There were some things that we were just not okay with in terms of how they were. I'll just give one example this adoption agency calls and says, we have three birth mothers that are all in their third trimester. One child is about 40K, the other one's about 30K, and the other one's about 26K. Different pricing. Yeah. And I said, why the difference in the pricing? And I kid you not, she said, well, the 40K one is a a little white girl with blonde hair, blue eyes, and the 30K is a mixed race baby, and the other one is a full black. African-American baby. Oh my gosh. Uh, So gross. It's really gross. 
really gross. So yes, be in alignment (laughs) with the agency in which you're choosing to adopt through. Thank you for sharing that, Meredith. And thank you for sharing all of your money stories today. Yeah, thank you. I didn't know we were going to go to those places. (laughs) Oh, money. (laughs) It spreads everywhere. It's lies. That's what we're talking about, really. It totally is. (laughs) Meredith, tell us, what's your next money conversation going to be? And who's it going to be with? My next money conversation is going to be with my husband on the sofa on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. because we have it in the calendar. And we're trying really hard to find a system that works for both of us because our brains are very different that we will both really thrive at using for a budget on a regular basis. We're looking at YNAB right now, but I'm like, is there a better one? Is there one that's more that's going to give me more dopamine rushes? Because, <laughs> because I feel like that's what's going to be helpful to me at this point. Uh, Meredith, that's great. So you're looking into budgeting apps right now? We're looking into budgeting apps that really work for the two of us. That's part of it too. To have a money conversation, you need another person and they think and do things differently. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, Meredith, it's been so great to talk with you. Would you share with our listeners how they could find you? What's the best place? You can find me on my website, grundicoaching.com. You can also find me for presentation tips on TikTok at Grundi Coaching. And you can find me on LinkedIn under Meredith Grundi. I love it. Meredith, thank you again. It's been really a pleasure talking with you on Money Tales. Thank you. This has been fantastic. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.